Welcome to the Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast, where we are all about going beyond programs, beyond best practices, and beyond curriculum to recover and learn from our Wesleyan roots and to explore the foundations for small groups that produce disciples of Jesus Christ who in turn disciple others. My name is Scott Hughes, and I am the Director of Adult Discipleship here at Discipleship Ministries. And I'm Steve Manskar, Director of Wesleyan Leadership at Discipleship Ministries. And this is going to be the first of a three-part series on covenant discipleship. And today, uh, I'm going to interview Steve. So this will be an interesting way we're going to do the podcast, is we're going to look today at Disciples Making Disciples, and then... Uh, another episode, we're going to interview Chris Wilterdink, the author of Everyday Disciples, which are going to be geared towards youth. Covenant discipleship with youth. Yeah. And then finally, we'll look uh, at Growing Everyday Disciples with Melanie Gordon. We'll invite her back. And that's Covenant Discipleship with Children. Yeah, that's great. So I'm really looking forward to, that, to how all these come together and how they connect. Uh, well, you know, we begin with our, our baseball updates. So... Um, it's baseball's off and going, and the Twins are? Well, as of today, which is April 7th, the, f- the end of the first week of the baseball season, amazingly, the Minnesota Twins are undefeated. Wow. They are 3-0. and They actually won. The s- they swept the Kansas City Royals in Minneapolis. Oof, that's impressive. Now, I would give an update on the Braves, but I'm not near that excited, <laughs> so we're going to move right along. But I do want to open us up with a, an analogy that comes from baseball. It actually comes from an article I read uh, just, just the other day. I helped coach my son's baseball team and uh, get emails from this group. And it was a long article about how hitting has taken off in youth baseball. Uh, because of the, the rise in the number of, of professional batting coaches that you can hire, the, the instructions you can get on YouTube, and just because, by golly, it is so much fun to hit – uh, youth are much better at hitting than they are fielding. And that was kind of the point of the article, is that um, for a lot of youth, they put all their time and effort in hitting, and that field, while, while hitting has gotten better, generically speaking, fielding has gotten worse in terms of fielding the ball, throwing the ball, catching the ball. And my analogy here is that, uh, generically speaking, again, obviously, uh, with the church, I think we've done this with regard to worship. We both say that worship is first and foremost what, what churches should focus on, but there can become an, an overemphasis. And, and the expense I see that we've placed on worship and getting people to worship and attracting people to worship is that what's happened is we've not paid enough in, interest and attention to formational groups. Uh, would you agree, Steve? Am I off base with that? No, I agree a hundred percent. Yes, okay. I think you're you're spot on. That the emphasis, you know, we even when we a major way of evaluating congregational effectiveness is right. what is your worship attendance? Right. First question we ask about a church, right? Right. Yeah. And which that is important. Absolutely, it it's is. In, you know, worship is. Th- the most important thing that the church does. But worship, we need to, the balance that needs to be maintained is that worship is part of discipleship. That's right. It's not the whole of discipleship. Yeah, that's a very good way of saying it. So if, you know, I once 
met with a, a pastor, we, we were having a, a disagreement okay. about the nature of who a disciple is. Oh, interesting. And I was arguing that a disciple is someone who, who follows the way of Jesus mm. in their life through practicing the means of grace, yep. um, which includes worship, but also includes daily prayer, um, reading and studying scripture, meditating with scripture, and practicing acts of compassion and justice yeah. in the world, being engaged in in caring for people and in service in their community. Whereas this particular pastor, and I don't know if he represents, you know, what. Sure, but his position was anyone that shows up for worship. Oh, okay. Occasionally. They don't even have to show up every Sunday. Regularly. <laughs> Regularly. Anyone who shows up yeah. and plants themselves in a pew on Sunday morning, mm. in this pastor's mind, was a disciple of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Now, those per- some of those people may be disciples in, in the biblical yeah. definition, which is what I think what I'm arguing is the biblical definition yeah, of a disciple. Yeah, we're going to get into that. Yeah. Um, but I think a disciple is more than someone who just shows up for worship for an hour on Sunday morning. Yeah, I mean, isn't that, I think Spurgeon said this. I'm, I'm maybe getting the wrong person attached to this quote of um, just because um, you're in a garage doesn't make you a car any more than <laughs> being in a church makes you a Christian, I think was the way that, that, that goes. Well, let's, let's jump into covenant discipleship, and let's, um, let's start with this. You know, we talk about it in our, our uh, sort of preamble about going beyond curriculum, beyond programs. So why isn't covenant discipleship another curriculum or program? What makes it more than that? And and before you answer, I want to give a quote from your book. Uh, And the quote goes like this, covenant discipleship is part of the congregation's disciple-making foundation. So so why isn't this just another curriculum or program? I'll let you jump out from there. Um, Covenant discipleship is not a program. One, because the very nature of a program is it has a beginning and an end. Right. You know, a program, you know, one of the best programs that I think the United Methodist Publishing House has ever produced is Disciple Bible Study. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Which is 34 weeks. At the end of 34 weeks, you're done, and you move on to something else. Right. You know, and hopefully you move into covenant discipleship. But That'd be one way, um, yeah. Other programs are six weeks, eight weeks, 12 weeks. And the character of programs is you do the program for that period of time. And then typically, you know, you say, okay, what else you got for us? Right. And you move on to something else. The next curriculum. The next curriculum. And with covenant discipleship, the difference with covenant discipleship is because it's about helping people live their baptismal covenant, hmm. it's discipleship is not a program. Right. Discipleship is how we live our lives. It's a way our way of life. It's about right. following the way of Jesus in the world. Therefore, there is no time limit on that. It's a lifelong pilgrimage. Um, so, covenant discipleship is not designed to be something that you do for six, eight, 34 weeks. It's what we do for the rest of our lives. Right. 
because that's we need that accountability and support to live our baptismal covenant and to follow Jesus in the world. Yeah, and I, and I think I want to make uh, real quick uh, point of clarity here um, because I've I've had this um, come up before. Is aren't you just talking about covenant, the Bible study produced by our publishing house? And I think we got to be real clear. We're talking about covenant discipleship, not covenant the curricula. Right. Just right. like we're not. Th- there's also confusion between covenant discipleship and disciple Bible study. That's right. Um, and now we have covenant Bible study, which just makes it even more confusing. So, no, yeah. we are not talking about the covenant Bible study, yeah. which is also very good. Yeah. And, and there's, which brings up another point of clarification. When I tell people I work at Discipleship Ministries, the most common response I get is, oh, I took that. <laughs> it's like, no, no, that, that's a curriculum. I work at Discipleship Ministries, the agency of the church, and I have to go. Anyway, well, we'll get off that. Um, so one of the things that I really appreciate about your work, Steve, is that, you know, we're talking about covenant discipleship. So in the book, you talk about discipleship and, and giving a specific definition to discipleship. And, and it goes far beyond what I think most, how most people think of discipleship, and that becomes what you believe which mm. belief is part of it, and you point us to a, a, a more Wesleyan understanding of discipleship. And so um, say a little more about what we're called to as Christians, but as Methodists, what we understand to be a, a disciple. You've said a little bit about it. Expand a little more how we understand that. Well, yeah, being a disciple is more, as I say in the book, it's more than simply making the confession that Jesus Christ is my personal Lord and Savior. What Mr. Wesley would say, and I think what Jesus would say, right, and true. Scripture clearly says, if that is true, then it should be reflected in the way you live your life, in what I do from day to day to day. <clears throat> so if Jesus Christ is my Lord and Savior, therefore I need to do what Jesus told his disciples to do. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, and, you know, and he even says that at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. Yes. Which I quote in the, in the book. Um, so disciples are people who do what Jesus told them to do. And what Jesus, Jesus summarizes his teachings in what we call the Great Commandment. Yep. That's found in, in Matthew 22, verses 37 to 40, where Jesus is responding to a lawyer who asks him, what's the greatest commandment? And his, he replies, he quotes scripture. He quotes Deuteronomy, the Shema. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind. And then he quotes Leviticus. And a second is like it. Yeah. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. So there Jesus is summarizing the whole of his teaching, love God. If, 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 I, if, he, if we say that Jesus is my Lord and Savior, therefore I am to love God with all, of our, all my heart, soul, and mind. And if I love God, therefore I'm compelled to love who God loves, yeah. love my neighbor as myself. And Jesus makes this really complicated because— He's good at that, yeah. He, 
also in the Sermon on the Mount, he tells us your neighbor is, you know, loving. It means loving more than the people who love you back. Right, that's Loving more than the people who are live next door to you, who look like you, who think like you. Yeah. Your neighbor is also the people who hate you. Yeah. Who are your enemies. Persecute you. Who are persecuting you and yeah. seeking to kill you. Yeah. They are also your neighbors yeah. and you're to love them as well. Yeah. So we, I, am incapable of that kind of love. Yeah, I know I am. Um, none of us, you know. Yeah. So that's why we need, we can only do this by being open to receiving the grace of the Holy Spirit working in us that enables us to love the way Jesus loved. Right. Right? That's right. Um, Because God, because God loves us, God loves me, who is a sinner, and as a sinner, by definition, I am an enemy of God. Um, but God loves me anyway. Right. And God loves me into maturity to, to, to root out that sin, to, to work in my life so that that sin no longer rules it and it is replaced by love. Yeah. So that love becomes my natural response to the world. And that's what you know, at the end of the fifth chapter in the sermon, you know, in, the, in Matthew, yeah, one of my Jesus passages. says, you shall be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect. Um, that's, what, that's the goal of discipleship, particularly in, our, in the Wesleyan tradition. That's right. Is that, that perfection means simply maturity, wholeness, becoming fully the person God created you to be in the image of Christ. Right. And I think... W- so what you've done is give some great handles to how uh, to go about doing this work. Right? We'll talk about the synergistic or cooperative nature of this work yeah, in, in a yeah. minute. Um, but you do this specifically by grounding discipleship in, in two ways. One is pointing us back to baptism and that giving a structure for discipleship. And then the second is the general rule, which gives a direction for discipleship. So mm-hmm. say more of, of those two things and then, and then how those relate to covenant discipleship and what happens in covenant discipleship. Well, it all begins, our discipleship begins with baptism yep. and the baptismal covenant that you know, any United Methodist can find it in our hymnal beginning on page, I think it's on page 35 is where the vow is. I'm going to go with your memory on that. <laughs> so in the baptismal covenant, we reject evil and just, you know, and, and repent of our sin. Mm. Um, we accept the freedom and power that God gives us to resist evil and justice and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves and we confess Jesus yeah. Christ as our Lord and Savior and promise to serve him in union with the church, which he has opened to people of all ages and nations and races. And then we promise to, to serve him as his, serve as his representative, as Christ's representatives in the world. Right. Right. 
and the congregation then promises they make a promise to that's right to do everything in their power to make sure that i have what i need we, that we all have what we need to be faithful to these baptismal vows that we make yeah that and all of this is done in response to god's love for us that god's desire right. god's for relationship with yeah. us that's why it's a sacrament it's god's initiative it's god acting in the church to bring us into relationship with God yeah. and to form us then into fully the persons God created us to be. Um, that's why, you know, Wesley's definition of a Methodist is, or the Methodists, the people called Methodists, as a people who profess to pursue mm. holiness of heart and life. And what that means is to pursue loving God with all of your heart, soul, and mind, holiness of heart, and loving your neighbor as yourself. Yeah, so we're back to the great commandment again. Right, holiness of life. And so we need help as to, okay, how do you do that? That's right. That, that's, that's the, and, yeah, and where that's we're going. where the general rule of discipleship comes in. Okay. So Wesley gave the Methodists the general rules, right, which is to do no harm, by avoiding evil, this is this is the the Cliff Notes version of it. Right. To do good, yep. to be merciful to everyone, and to attend upon all the ordinances of God. Okay, to to practice the works of piety, the means of those his, mean, what we typically call means of grace, right. of worship and prayer and sacra- and sacraments and um, fasting and scripture. So the general rule of discipleship is simply a contemporary summary of okay. the general rules in a single statement, which is to witness to Jesus Christ in the world first, to witness to Jesus Christ in the world, and to follow his teachings through acts of compassion, justice, worship, and devotion under the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Yep. So we have in that general rule a balanced discipleship. Yeah, key word there. Yeah. That's balanced between loving God with all of our heart, soul, and mind through what Wesley called the works of piety, which are the acts of worship and the acts of devotion. Right. And loving our neighbor as ourselves, loving who God loves yeah. as God loves them through acts of compassion and acts of justice. There's also balance between the social dimension of discipleship, which is right. that's acts of worship, which is what we do together as a congregation, yeah. um, offering ourselves in service to God as a community, um, and acts of justice is what we do together with other people in the community, you know, out, you know, in, in the church, but in the broader community, people, other people of faith and of no faith who wa- are called to work together to address why they're, to address the very suffering and injustice that exists in right. our communities, okay? So worship and justice are the social dimensions of discipleship balanced with the personal because discipleship is deeply personal mm. um, through the acts of devotion, which are the, the the practice, the spiritual disciplines that we practice to nurture our personal relationship with Christ through prayer, reading and studying of scripture, fasting and abstinence, keeping a journal, 
you know, walking a labyrinth. There's many different spiritual right. disciplines that people can, we, that we, we do alone in private to nurture our personal relationship with God. And that, those acts of devotion are balanced with the acts of compassion, which is something, the things that, the acts of kindness that I can do for you. Right. For, an in, for another person that is in need, um, for my neighbor, um, for anyone that I encounter on the street, which I encountered, I was up in New York City a couple of weeks ago, and I had a woman just walk right up to me and says, I'm hungry, can you help me get something to eat? Mm. Well, I had $100 in my pocket. Okay. And I said, well, of course. <laughs> so I gave her a $20 bill you know, typically, if I had time, I would take her to a diner or something sure. and buy her breakfast. You know, this is in the morning. And, sure. But I was with my son. And I didn't, we, you know, we really couldn't do that. So I just put a $20 bill in her hand and said, go get some breakfast. Um, so that was a, just a simple act of compassion. So what, the things that I really like about what you've said is that word balance, right? I think you, you've tied together things that are too often split in our sort of Christian culture. Those who do justice and those who do acts of piety. And that's why it's so important to to balance out discipleship. And and it's also important, I think, the way you talk about in the book is, you know, there's parts of these dynamics that we don't, may not resonate with, that, that may make us uncomfortable. And that when we do this in a group, we have those who can help us to, to work on those things yeah. together. And I think that's that's really important. So let's let's dive a little deeper then and talk about, I want to jump to kind of chapter three. I, I, I really like the image you give in the title of chapter three, which is forming pillars for mission. Mm-hmm. So talk about covenant discipleship as a way of leadership development. Because yeah. it's, I think we think of small groups as sort of attracting everybody. And I think covenant discipleship comes at this in a very different direction. Yeah. And I'll talk more about that in a minute, but I'll, I'll leave that sort of there for now of talking about how it works as leadership development. Well, that thank yeah, that's, that's a real important point because the, 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 the real goal of covenant discipleship groups is to form leaders in discipleship that the church needs to fulfill its mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ for the transformation of the world. Right. So we need to form those leaders that work in partnership with the pastor to disciple as many people in the congregation as possible. Right. Um, and so I use the image of the pillars, mm-hmm. and then the pillars are the pillars of a Gothic cathedral. Yeah, I can see, I can kind of see this in my mind. And, and yeah. we, we put an image of the nave of Salisbury Cathedral in Salisbury, okay. England, which is a place I know really well. And if, and I need to explain, the characteristic of Gothic architecture is that the walls do not hold up the building. What holds up the building are the pillars of the pointed arches, which the pointed arch is the, the chief characteristic of what's called Gothic architecture. Interesting. So if you've ever been in a big cathedral, you know, like the National Cathedral in Washington, Uh D.C. is a really good example. And there's lots of Gothic cathedrals in Europe and in Britain. And the one that I know best is Salisbury Cathedral. And so with those pointed arches, the pillars 
are what hold up the building, which enables then the builders to, to the, the walls then can be very thin and have these huge open spaces mm, that put these gigantic windows. Gotcha. And, uh, some, a lot of times the windows are stained glass windows that then tell all kinds of you know, stories of scripture. And, yeah. And so the, the, the point I make with this is that the pillars is what hold up. So if you imagine your congregation as being like this great Gothic cathedral. Mm, beautiful image. Where everyone brings diverse gifts into, the, into this church, into this community. Like a Gothic cathedral has the pillars, but there's all this beautiful direct decorations, yeah. these incredible stained glass windows, um, vestments, um, the floor. You know, you, it, there's all this beauty all around you. And, and the whole mission of the Gothic cathedral is if you've ever walked into one. Yeah, I have a way of describing it. You go ahead. Your natural response is to look up. That's right. Because... That's the way the building goes. It goes up. That's they right. tend to be really tall and high and yeah. lots of open space. And you look up and the purpose, the mission of the Gothic cathedral is the worship and praise of God. That's right. And so that natural response is to look up in awe. In awe. Yeah. Okay. So, so I'm going to insert this real quick. I had a professor, shout out to Fred Schmidt. He described Gothic architecture this way. It, it, it speaks to you, like you said. And it yeah. says this. There's a God, you're not it, get on your knees and worship. That's right. <laughs> That's exactly right. And so the point here is that the church needs the pillars yeah. in order to do its mission. Yep. And the pillars here in Covenant Discipleship are class leaders yep. and people who will serve as small group leaders, leaders in mission, in service in the world and in the community. We need to form those leaders in order for the congregation to be faithful to its mission of making disciples of Jesus Christ. That's right. And, and we could go more into that, and, and, and I want to wrap us up on a, in, yeah. because of what time is left. But you, you've named some really important things about where to start, and you start with the leaders who become the pillars of the church who can change the culture of the church to being more missional. I want to ask you this, and, and I'll, I'll say two things. First, and I know you could expound on this a great deal, and that is this matches very well with how Methodists started. Yes. Was that relational accountability, the, they're the coaches, the discipleship coaches. The class leaders. The class, yeah, the class leaders. Uh, I want to ask you this, though, and that is apprehensions. As you've talked to church leaders, as to pastors, and you've presented this, what apprehensions do you hear about covenant discipleship? Well, the, the, the one that comes up the most often is meeting every week. Yeah. Because the idea, you know, for covenant discipleship groups to really work, the group, which is five to seven people who are ready to be accountable for their discipleship, mm-hmm. shaped by the general rule of discipleship and the covenant that they write. Yeah, good, yeah. Um, they meet every week for one hour. That's the time commitment that, that's it, one hour a week yep. for the meeting. Well, that's the main apprehension is can we, you know, we're busy. How can we add, you know, this, the weekly meeting? That's the thing. And the response is, well, if you want to be a, you know. Right. If you want to be a good batter. Can you, you give up an hour practice? of watching TV or, right. you know, it's, it's about priorities. Yeah. What, what's important. 
Um, another apprehension um, was is that is sometimes expressed because I make the point that it's very it's critical that the pastor participate yeah. in a covenant discipleship group with laity in the congregation they're appointed to serve. And the apprehension there is on the part of the pastor is how can I be in a group with laity um, and just be a member of the group and not be the leader? That's right. And I know from my experiences, I'm just, every group, I started started covenant discipleship groups in every congregation that I pastored, which there were several. Yeah. And I made it very clear that I'm here as a disciple. Mm. I'm your pastor, yes. But I'm here as a disciple just like you. Yeah. And I need to be accountable to you for my discipleship. Right. And, and, And you make this point in the book, too, the accountability is comes out of the covenant and the accountability is simply showing up week after week to give an account of what you've done or not done in light of the covenant that the group has written based on the general rule of discipleship yep well said so one of the last things i'll say here is well two things one is that what i really appreciate is that you've you've not done this quick fix right it, it's a lo- as Eugene Peterson says, a long obedience in the same direction. That's, that's a really good way of describing it. Right, and it's it's building those leaders who become the foundation to change the culture of discipleship. In your book, um, I will say the other great part of the book is you have 11 appendices. Very practical in terms right. of how do you do this, how do you set this up, the steps that are involved. So make sure and check that out. So as we end, we do have a giveaway. So why don't you tell us who our giveaway winner is? Uh this week it's to uh, Reverend Dan Foster, and I gotta—I admit—and sorry, Dan, I don't remember where you're <laughs> serving right now. I know you're in Minnesota. You're a fellow Minnesotan. An- another Minnesotan. And what Dan Minnesotan. Dan gave a really a uh, couple of you know he sh- gave a shout out about the uh, the interview that we did that I did with Phil Me- the episode we did with Phil Meadows okay. and the Very band good. meeting. Um, he put it out on Twitter and on Facebook. Great. And, um, and so I'm really thankful to Dan. Dan also went on the Wesley Pilgrimage in oh, 2016. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, so we're going to send a gift to Dan. Very cool. Well, we hope that you'll interact with us as well. Feel free to shoot us your emails. You can find our email addresses on our website, which is umcdiscipleship.org. You can also find us on Twitter. I'm at Rev Scott's Tweets. And you are Steve? At S. Manskar, at S-M-A-N-S-K-A-R. So we look forward to being in ministry with you, and I look forward to our upcoming episodes. Um, Until next time, peace. Small Groups in the Wesleyan Way podcast has been a production of Discipleship Ministries, an agency of the United Methodist Church. Visit all our podcasts at podcasts.umcdiscipleship.org.